and they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. It's ridiculous that they do it. That was a huge calling. Well, we didn't miss it. You know, the typical rah, 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 zip, boom, bye, boo. You don't cuss. You don't drink. So what are your vices? I have been known to, uh, to chew a bit of tobacco when I get a little tired or watching film. Hey, I'm Coach O. I just love my Hummer. I have my Hummer. You need a Hummer. Tell them about it, JoJo. They've won the biggest championship, and that's a championship of life. Gap control. Everybody just do your job. You understand that? Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Popped up again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy, how you doing? Hey, doing good, Shane. And, of course, this is the week, the SEC spring meetings, where we won't have any kind of official rule changes or anything until Friday. That's when the presidents and the ADs vote on that stuff. So we don't have any updates on that, Shane. But I thought the most important update from the SEC spring meetings came from old Will Muschamp when he was asked about the Oklahoma drill. He had never heard of such a thing. That's because they call it something else down there in Columbia, South Carolina, Shane. Well, they call it, Mike. Well, the NFL, NFL recently banned Oklahoma drills and a few other drills. What are your thoughts on that? What's the Oklahoma drill? Yeah, I think y'all call it the cock drill. Okay, I know you know. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't write that in the newspaper, so I still call it the Oklahoma drill. drill. I have no idea what well, no wonder Tennessee can't beat that bastard Will Muschamp, Shane. He's got them, them boys running the cock drill. The good old cock drill, man. <laughs> <laughs> this reporter said he can't write about it because he'll get in trouble. <laughs> I just thought that was pretty oh. funny. I mean, uh, I had never heard that before. I don't know if that was if that's something they, they have been going on the whole time he's been down there, but I assume it has been. But, uh, I mean, that was pretty much the highlight of day one from that thing. Yeah, just just kind of giving you guys an insight there. A lot of people do these uh, Oklahoma drills differently. Uh, a lot of times you'll see LSU or Tennessee or uh, some of these guys, they'll just line up two, two equal people on each other, and at the snap or a whistle, they'll just try to push one to the, you know, a lot of times they'll get in a circle and everybody gets all pumped up about it. Some of them do them with like a, like an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, and then they'll have a running back and a linebacker back there, and so they 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 run these drills. So, you know, one thing, one interesting part is they have outlawed this at the NFL level, and something that they are considering getting rid of here at college level. And to be honest, Mike, this was the drill I hated the most playing football. I just. Um, in fact, my freshman year was the year I blew my knee out. We called it a blood box, and basically we put dummies around. You <laughs> Sounds know, safe. It, yeah, it was a uh, my. Yes, I, I hate it, man. It was my. It was the last practice that we had before our last game, and it got down to me and another guy, and uh, I won the first one. Uh, he won the second one, and on that third one, we kind of stalemated. I didn't keep my feet moving, and my knee blew out. So uh, I am not a fan of this drill, Mike. <laughs> so if Muschamp was your coach, Shane, it would be safe to say you blew your knee out during the cock drill? Yeah, I blew it out <laughs> on the cock drill. So, <laughs> well, What other that's funny the- note that's uh, come out of these meetings are held in Destin, Florida, but uh, you know they're going to vote 
on whether alcohol can be consumed in SEC stadiums. I think they're still going to leave it up to individual schools, but they're going to have this vote. I believe that's how it's going to work. And if it passes, then that's going to give the right to certain schools to sell alcohol. And it sounds like they think it's going to pass because uh, the reports out of Athens are that Georgia is going to offer fans an opportunity, Shane, to pay $25,000 in donations (laughs) You can spread that out over five years, so five years, 5000 a year if you want, uh, just for the right to buy alcohol in Sanford Stadium. And you're not even going to be able to have it in your seat. It's going to be in a designated area, probably like a beer garden like they got down at LSU. So, Shane, Georgia, they're selling the, the world's most expensive beer. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's stupid, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't think the rich people should get to drink beer. I mean, how about them guys up there in the nosebleed section? They, they're the ones that deserve the alcohol. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, uh, I think this is stupid. So I, I, I misread this. So I thought it was, you had to donate $25,000 a year for five years. What you're saying is these guys have to donate 25 grand over five years. So $5,000 a year. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And you could break it up. Correct. Yes. So could you hypothetically say, hey, I'm going to get to it like a balloon payment and maybe, you know, say, you know, <laughs> let's just do a hundred this year. And then <laughs> I'm just trying to think outside the box and maybe in, by year five, it's legal for everybody drinking and say F that rule, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just trying to find a loophole, Mike, just trying to help them dogs out. I'll tell you the drunkest I've ever been was at Georgia at the Athens game, and I we snuck alcohol in. So I don't know how hard it is to do these days, but I think I'm going to take my chances as a security guard that I am writing a check for $25,000 to drink beer, you know? Yeah, what was your bar tap that night, Shane? Was it over or under 25000 It was under, but I don't okay. know what it was. It was a killer bar, man, and I bought I bought the rounds for everybody. I was, I was, I was eating high on the hog, and that was one of the – my favorite games uh <laughs> that i ever went to so yeah i'm i'm one tennessee's one and oh when i'm down in athens baby <laughs> <laughs> all right shane enough of that stuff let's go around the league all right let's do it now let's go now around, let's the go around the league we, we haven't decided how we're going to play the guys so and i wouldn't tell you if i did so you know i don't mind you asking a question but I don't need to answer it. No, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. I'll reply. I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, you just hear it over and over. And, you know, like every other or every third song, it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice. So you just uh, you get used to it. It's, it's a catchy tune, right? I mean. This game's going to be a street fight. This game's going to be a street fight. I mean, some of you guys don't know who Kimbo Slice is. Hopefully you do. Um, and you go back to it, man, this isn't a sanctioned fight. This is a street fight. I mean, this is the SEC. So, man, it's time. It's time to put on the hard hat, launch bail, let's get to work. All right, Shane, so we kind of already hit a little bit on the Gamecocks, so let's just start right there. With Bill Muschamp uh, during his appearance at the SEC Spring Meetings, and I just really wanted to make this note that uh, he was specifically asked about the you know, name, likeness, and all that that we touched on on the previous podcast with the NCAA forming a working group. And, I mean, he was pretty adamant that whatever whatever helps the players, he is in favor of. And, 
you know, I like to hear that from these coaches, but I really wanted to single that out because obviously we we also touched on this Dabo Sweeney and his comments. Now it's not to say that Dabo does not support this, but you know, there's if you're a Clemson fan, you're going to support Dabo no matter what. If you're a Gamecock fan, you're going to support Will Muschamp when it comes to comes to these two guys. But yeah. in my opinion, when you, when he comes out so clear and so strongly at a public event like this, I think that sets a narrative around the SEC, well, around the Southeast, around the nation, that old Dabo here against these players getting all this stuff, and here is Will Muschamp saying, "Hell, I'm for everything that that gets these guys paid uh, as long as it's legal." And uh, I just thought that was kind of an interesting note, and I think that's something that's going to help him in recruiting. I think he's scared, man. I mean, I, I this is just me reading the tea leaves. I think. I think Dabo's a little worried about this because if you open up this Pandora's box, in essence, I mean, where are they going to come? These kids are going to come to the SEC because that's where the money's at. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if, if boosters can get involved and start making these players money while they're on campus, don't think that teams, even teams like Ole Miss, uh, teams like Arkansas, I mean, they're going to, I mean, they're going to be able to throw money at these kids and get them. I mean, in essence, it's it's like a semi-pro league at that point. And I think he's afraid that he's going to get phased out because I do think Clemson's got money uh, and they found some loopholes down there to help these recruits out. I'm not I'm not accusing them of cheating, but it's everybody does it. I just think Ole Miss players getting paid that would never happen. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I, no, if you if you allow this, I think Dabo is more afraid of he, – he don't want to mess things up. Things are in a good place for Clemson right now. And if you green light these kids getting paid where it's, you know, where it's legal and legit, then I think he's afraid that he's not going to be able to entice his recruits to Clemson anymore because they all want to come home to the SEC, brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't wait for Rebel Rags to have their first signing with the <laughs> oh, Ole Miss quarterback. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm telling you, they got money. And Arkansas, Texas, I mean, all these, I mean, they, I mean, it's good. I'm, I'm uh, let me ask you, Mike, <laughs> we're just talking here. Uh, do you, how do, how are they going to govern this? Are they going to put a limit to how many, how much money kids can earn? I, I mean, mean that's, that's so far. I mean, they've not said anything, so. I don't really want to speculate, but there's really no tell any of that information at this point. And this is still, it's not going to be this season. It's probably not even going to be the next season. So yeah. this this is years down the road. Mm, yeah, I, I think it just muddied the waters. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for helping these kids out while they're in school. But if you're just letting them make, you know, I mean, some of these kids may make more money in college than they will in the pros. So I'm, I, that's what I'm worried about. All right, Shane, let's jump to Knoxville. Where old Jeremy Pruitt, he was down there at the spring meetings too. And a uh, bit of unfortunate news here, but I think this was somewhat to be expected. But tight end James Brown, who is kind of, he's played some defensive line, he's played some tight end. And linebacker Darren Kirkland Jr., both medically retired, Shane. What in the world is up with the, all these Vols having to retire due to health concerns? I mean, it's, it seems like it's an epidemic at this point. A little bit of a pattern here, Mike. Uh, I think we've had, what, 10, 12, something like that? <laughs> I mean, hell, we've had a lot of people retire. And uh, Kirkland, I could, I, you know, you kind of saw the writing on the wall there. The the kids had a, a real hard time trying to stay healthy. And mm-hmm. and I think he, good Lord, he had all the potential in the world to be a, a, a truly special athlete. And uh, 
I, I hate to hear that. I don't know much about James Brown. You know, I've listened to a little bit of his music, but as far as tied in, <laughs> as far as tied in, I don't know much about that. But um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's if this is strength and conditioning or if this, you know, well, shit, let me go there because that's where I was going to say. Okay. Obviously, we talk about Tennessee, their strength and conditioning, the fact that they've turned it over four out of four years. That's like that's one of the more unbelievable stats in college football. Where this year they have obviously have Craig Fitzgerald, who he's going into his second year, but that's the first time that Tennessee's had the same head strength coach for five years, mm-hmm. same guy back to back, and I think some of this uh, is is a result of that because. When you're starting out with a brand new guy, I mean, he may not know the players, he may not know their history, he may not know, you know, what they've been working toward, and now you're you're mixing up the regiment. I mean, some of these people like machines. I know Craig Fitzgerald likes more of the free weights and mm-hmm. medicine balls and all this. And I'm not suggesting that anything he's doing is hurting these guys. I'm I think it's just the fact that they've not had that consistent voice, that consistent regiment, that consistent. Uh, training with the same guy, uh, and I put that on the blame of you know whoever whoever the hell's making the decisions. I guess it was Butch Jones, what have you, but uh, just kind of doing these players a disservice. And uh, I th- I think that's this is just a, the latest example of that. Well, and two one way to look at it too is some of these injuries have been lingering on for years mm-hmm. and, and maybe this was from a previous regime and the, the rehabilitation wasn't done properly and it was exposed during, you know, Craig's workouts or something like that. And, you know, they're, they're smart, man. They, I mean, if they see something's bad, I mean, they're going to, they're going to, Air on the on the side of caution when you see things like what happened up there in Maryland, um, or you see you see these uh, you know like Trey Smith you know he's somebody that came out that that almost died due to due to an ailment that he has. Mm-hmm. I think you got to be careful, and I, I think there's a lot more mentoring going on here. And if they see a kid really struggling with something, they're, it's like I said, it's not the 70s, man. They're, they're going to shut it down. They're going to talk to the parents and, and give the kid the best advice possible because, you know, you're you're in college for three to four years. You've got a long life ahead of you. You don't want something to happen in college that will, you know, hurt you for the rest of your life. All right, sticking with the Vols, Shane, Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, he made an appearance there on XM Sirius Radio, and he was just asked about uh, you know the off season there, He's going into year two of his program on Rocky Top, and uh, these sentiments are kind of echoed. Something similar he had, uh, I believe, it was a week ago. He was on uh, the Swain event, Jason Swain's radio program, and you know he was asked about uh, you know the players sticking around for the summer, and he and he made the comment that went kind of viral about. You know, we missed uh, the bowl bowl season. We had that off, so I think we're I think we're good with time off. And uh, this uh, interview that he did with Sirius XM Radio has kind of echoed those sentiments. So l- let's play this clip. Well, I, I think going in, we as a staff knew what we were getting into, mm-hmm. uh, and I think after a year being there, I think our players now know what they're getting into. Uh, we had a great off season, uh, really good spring, had 14 very productive practices. We had one that I wish we could get back. <laughs> right. But, um, it's been very positive this off season. We, you know, we only have 10 seniors on our team, right. we had a young team, but we do have guys that's played a lot of ball. Um, I think from a player development standpoint, 
there was very little movement as far as moving guys around wherever we put them. You know, after being there a year, we we know what they are. We know what their strengths are, their weaknesses, and we know who we recruited and why we recruited them. So, um, you know, I think we, we had an opportunity to see guys grow this off season and, and develop and improve and uh, we got to continue to do that this summer. We need to need to have a really good June and July. I thought we had a great May. Had 55 guys that stayed and went to school during May and participated. Wow. So that's that's unusual. That's a massive number. Yeah, it's it's, it's a lot. So um, I like our team. I like our leadership, and I like where our program's headed. All right, Shane. As a Tennessee fan, this I would imagine this is what you want to hear. I mean, guys are buying in, and uh, to me, it just seems like uh, you know the work. That, that Jeremy Pruitt needs to get done, it's getting done right now, and we can't mm-hmm. see it. And there's a lot, you know, some people are real high on Tennessee, some people are still questioning them. But uh, obviously, I think what what's been going on right now with Craig Fitzgerald on that strength program, I think it's going to determine whether Tennessee has that big year two bump or not. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, I've listened to a lot of Pruitt talk since he's been here, and this is the most positive interview I have heard since he signed. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, are we there? No, but it feels like just from listening to a coach that has his pulse on this team that we're moving in the right direction. So that excites me, man. And the fact that 50 kids stuck around, I mean, they're not going home for summer. They're going to stay right there on the campus. I mean, and he talked about leadership. So maybe this, you know, it just uh, it just feels good, man. It feels like we're heading in the right, right way. So I'm, I'm excited. All right, last thing on the Vols, Shane. So – this is Tennessee related, but I also want to ask you just overall the SEC how you feel about this. But uh, there's a lot of speculation that Tennessee is uh, inching closer to potentially adding another quarterback to their 2020 recruiting class. And if they get this guy, his name's Hayes King. He's from Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I understand, Shane, this guy, he's an Elite 11 finalist, just like Harrison Bailey, the guy they currently have committed. Uh, but this guy won the state title down in Texas. Uh, apparently, he is one of the faster quarterback prospects in this class. And you may think he's just like uh, one of these like scrambling guys, but he is a true passer who I think he had like 4,000 yards and only six interceptions last year. He's a star on the basketball team. I mean, they're saying this guy could be the nation's number one quarterback prospect. Um and now on the flip side, like I said, they've already got an elite quarterback, Harrison Bailey, who's an Elite 11 finalist as well. Uh, so they, these two are going to be competing at that event in, I believe it's in early July, maybe early early June. I can't remember. It's one or the other. But I know Jim Chaney was at Georgia. They never offered Harrison Bailey, and he's a Georgia quarterback. So mm-hmm. I, I think Tennessee smoothed that out pretty quickly, but – what are your thoughts on Tennessee adding two elite quarterbacks here, potentially? I mean, we don't want to, you know, put the cart before the horse because they don't have this guy committed. He's also going to visit Texas A&M, who has no 2020 quarterback committed. So there's, there's a chance he's he'll pick the Aggies. But I think he's on the brink of committing to Tennessee here, based on what I've been told. And maybe not so much Tennessee, but these elite quarterbacks, as we've seen in this era, you know, they transfer based on – God knows what these days. So adding another guy uh, that, you know, immediately people go to, well, is the other guy not coming or is he going to transfer, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Do you have any issues with a program adding two elite quarterbacks 
or do you think that that plays itself out and the and competition <laughs> makes them better? Well, Cheney's done it before. Usually, one up will leave eventually. So, I guess it's kind of nice to have options. Mm-hmm. You know, you I mean, you you're putting a lot of stock into their high school, and and this kid's. I mean, he's a, he's he's a little bit different than Harrison. You know, he's he is uh, a little bit more mobile. Um, that they're about the same national rank. I think they're right there at a hundred, both of them. So, um, I I don't know. It just. Uh, the only thing that scares me about a situation like this, and I've seen it in the past, you know, is if you go for this guy. And this guy's considering, I think you said, Texas A&M. I think Auburn's up there. You know, it, you know, if they're putting, you know, these fillers out and trying to get them to sign with Tennessee, who's to say it? Harrison, you know, doesn't take offense to that and sign with, you know, Alabama or something like that. I mean, because Bama's offered Harrison. So, mm-hmm. um, I just – I don't want to walk away with no quarterbacks. Ideally, I'd love to have both of them uh, because I think options are important. Uh, but, you know, it's just – it's a slippery slope, man. Now, the reason I wanted to set you up, I was hoping you'd say that because, in my opinion, I do not know of an elite quarterback that is afraid of competition. And I think if you if you do get Atlanta commitment from a second quarterback – and the, the first one, you know, decommits and says, well, I'm not going to – I thought I was the guy or whatever, whatever their rationale may be. Right. I just don't see that guy ever developing in anything special because I think, you know, whether it's a, a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers or, you know, go on and on and on, I mean, these guys live for the competition. It doesn't matter who's around them. Uh, I can't think of anyone – that uh, as a quarterback that that ran away from competition and turned out to be an elite player. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I'm just thinking small window here. We're talking about Cheney. Let's talk about Eason leaving. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about Fields leaving. So they they did get them both to campus. So, you know, and and I think they I think they got the best quarterback with Fromm down there. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it is. I like you said. I don't think Harrison's going to go anywhere because he's. I mean, he's been all of all since he signed. He's mm-hmm. been trying to recruit, and uh, that has been working out too well. So maybe this maybe this cat can bring some uh, guys from Texas. All right, Shane. Let's jump down to Athens. Oh, dog, <laughs> Kirby Smart. Of course, he was at these SEC spring meetings as well. And the big topic there for Georgia, aside from their twenty-five thousand dollar beers. Uh, was the fact that Kirby, you know, he's kind of open to the idea of, of moving that Florida game away from Jacksonville. It's kind of been a hot topic this week. I don't, I'm not saying, I, th- I believe they're locked into the 2021 season with the contract and there's ongoing negotiations to extend that. I expect it to be extended. Uh, but uh, Kirby, he, he points to the fact that, uh, you know, it hurts his recruiting potentially. Having this game in Jacksonville. Let's jump to these clips. This came from uh, his his recent appearance at the Paul Feinbaum show uh, from down there in Destin. I, nothing's been decided. There's no decision being being made. It's just something that we always are thinking about. When you look at recruiting now, the model they have is that December's an early signing date. So 
the official visits have become really, really important. And our official visits are happening in June. We got official visits happening in the season, and we lose a really big opportunity to have official visits come to our campus. So it's a tough uh, pill to swallow. So we're always looking and thinking about what we can do in the future to give ourselves the best advantage. And the other SEC teams don't have that. They have the home games they have to be able to recruit to. So it's something we think about, but nothing's been uh, nothing's been decided. And I mean, if uh, obviously there's a, there's a contract and you have to yeah. play it out, but uh, for Georgia, uh, it's in Florida. You can argue, you know, what kind of town Jacksonville is in yeah. is, but what 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 would the advantage be for your program to play down there? Well, to play in Jacksonville. Yeah. Well, I think the, the advantage is a neutral site game. It gives. Uh, uh, our southern South Georgia fans an opportunity to play okay. there and not have as far to travel. Uh, it's a very unique experience. I love the where the game's played. I love everything about it. The city of Jackson has been great to us. I, I do think that we have to look at it from a 10,000 feet above and right. say what is best for the long term of our program because mainly because of recruiting because we lose that weekend if you took lsu alabama game and said you can't have any recruits lsu alabama how would they feel about that that was one of the biggest recruiting events we had well that's one of our biggest games the georgia florida game and it's it's something that we have to think about all right shane last time i checked bulldogs are kicking ass in recruiting so i'm not sure this is really hurting them now i think the logic here with kirby smart is the fact that you know, we've got we've went on and on this offseason about all these marquee non-conference games Georgia's lining up. So in Kirby's mind, say they're traveling to, I don't know, insert a team, UCLA, and then they have this Florida game down in Jacksonville, that's potentially two official visit weekends lost for the Bulldogs. Uh, so maybe, again, he's just looking ahead. But uh, what are your thoughts on Kirby just kind of taking issue with the fact that uh, his program is losing a recruiting weekend? Well, I mean, it's a good point. Um, I mean, that's uh, the marquee game. You know, like when you look at Georgia's schedule and, and Florida's schedule, that you know that they're both going to be toward the top. So that's a big game in the East. And it, those marquee games are the ones you want those recruits so they can feel the vibe of the crowd. So I get that. Um, but I just – I think there's just too much money at play. I, I mean, the Georgia boosters and, and stuff, they want to give Kirby everything he needs. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't see him buckling on this because they're making too much money off this neutral site game. Yeah, I mean, I don't, they've just been doing it for so damn long, Shane, that it's such a tradition. Yeah. And it seems like whoever is on the winning advantage, it seems like the other fan base wants it moved. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because you know all those years under Mark Richt, uh, Georgia had so many issues beating Florida, mm-hmm. and I'm just I just recently picked up this is an older book, but I just picked it up for the first time and and I've been reading it the Steve Spurrier audio autobiography. Yeah, and before he got to Florida, I mean Georgia was was whipping the Gators ass every year, mm-hmm. and he specifically says they wanted that game moved because they want it in Gainesville so they could actually win it. So it's funny how it just turns like that. But uh, it, it was interesting to me that the fact that Georgia's having so much success there and they're still thinking about moving it, um, I don't expect it to get moved. I th- for whatever reason, there's just an annual talking point. But I think Kirby, I don't know, maybe he's saying this to, so that they maximize how much money they get from it. I, don't, I wouldn't think he's thinking of that. But I think he's just throwing it out there that, Hey Georgia, if we don't get what we want from this new deal, I don't have any issue with us backing out of it. <laughs> Do you think there's ever a chance that some of these recruits can go to neutral site games? 
Or do you think it's just that would be too many too many variables? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure why they have it this way, but I don't know. I guess they just don't want them going to because look at it this way: that Alabama could could have these playoff games where they have official visits. Yeah, I mean that's pretty un, maybe unfair to the rest of the league or these SEC championship games. Potentially, you could host recruits. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I Kirby does note that you know he he tries to play it like no one else is doing this. Texas A&M and Arkansas they they meet every year in Arlington, so they they can't host anyone there. Uh, Arkansas we've kind of went on about it about their their Little Rock games. They can't host recruits there, so mm-hmm. it's, it's not like Georgia and Florida are the only ones dealing with this. I do think it's a disadvantage, but. The way Georgia's recruiting, I don't think uh, – I don't know. I, it wouldn't be a recruiting issue for me if I'm Kirby Smart at this point. All right. I got you. All right, Shane. Jumping to Starkville. And Joe Moorhead, during his appearance there at Destin, uh, he was asked about uh, his new quarterback, Tommy Stevens. Everyone's got a lot of question marks about this guy. And uh, not long after Kirby Smart jumped on Paul Feinbaum's show, Joe Moorhead did, and he talked about uh, what the Bulldogs are getting in Tommy Stevens – and then towards the tail end of this conversation, I thought this was uh, kind of his best comment. He was pretty much just asked, uh, you know, to compare the the Big Ten to the SEC and kind of what he learned his first year coaching in the SEC. Yeah, certainly when uh, you get the opportunity to upgrade the talent on your roster, uh, either through recruiting or through the portal, you want to take advantage of those opportunities. And uh, you know, when Tommy jumped in there and his familiarity with our offense, and you know, knowing me, and you know, certainly. Uh, you know, most people consider the most important position on the field. He's looking for the opportunity to come in, compete with KT and the other guys, and uh, you know, excited to get him here for summer. Uh, for those of us who, I mean, we, we may have seen a little bit of him. How would you how would you describe him? And and, and you, uh, he obviously knows the system, as you said. But uh, what should we expect when we see him? Yeah, he's he's got excellent size. You know, six four, six five, in the two hundred thirty pound range. Uh, you know, in his time at Penn State, right around a sixty percent passer. So he is a thrower who can run, uh, not a runner who can throw. Uh, was. You know, right around eight yards carry, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, my two years there, we used him in a variety of capacities, quarterback, you know, got him the ball in handoffs, you know, I think caught a touchdown pass or two. So, uh, you know, multi-skilled athlete, but but most importantly, uh, you know, he can really throw the football. Frustrating in a sense to a certain extent, but to me, that's that's the the most exciting part of it. Okay. And, and when people ask about, you know, what was the transition to the SEC and what did you learn from year one, to me, more than a learn, learning experience it was a validation that the margin of error is minuscule and that every single week whether it's a west west opponent or an east opponent you got to be on your a game or, or you can get knocked off and, and and i love the challenge of competing again in the best division of all college football all right shane so i mean based on those comments moorhead obviously i mean we kind of knew this by the fact that he added stevens he's got he's got a lot of confidence in this guy being able to throw the ball down the field and get it done there so not not particularly surprising, but I just think it's noteworthy because we just have so little information on this Tommy Stevens here. But uh, his comments here on the SEC and just you know, the margin being so thin, um, I don't know. I, I thought uh, – I don't know what to make of that. What do you think? I, I think he's more a running quarterback than he is a passing – you know, he tried to spin it off that, that he can – you know, that he's going to be throwing first, then running. But mm-hmm. – there's something about this kid. I did watch uh, a few highlights of him, and you know, with Mississippi State, I think they're going to struggle a little bit in the weapons department. And I think having a player like this touching the ball every single snap 
and can do stuff with his legs and his arm. I just mm-hmm. think, you know, that X factor may be what they need because I, I see a lot of 50-50 games on their schedule. And, uh, you know, if if they can make this kid special and make them load the box, then who knows? Uh, they may surprise a few people this year. Mm-hmm. Well, but what, what about Moorhead and his comments just on? Oh, shit. I'm sorry. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe – uh, job security. He's already, you know, <laughs> pumping up the West. I just, I, I, that doesn't make sense to me. I, I, you know, this is going to be a brutal schedule they have this year. And, um, I don't know, man. I, I think last year was their shot to, to really get some ground caught, you know, as far as recruiting and, and, and moving that needle. But this year, I, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be disappointing. And, and I don't want to get people down because, like I said, there's going to be a lot of 50-50 games here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Stevens is uh, an excellent ad at quarterback just because, like I said, he's an X factor that can create things. And uh, But on, on the flip side of the coin, you know, t- talking about how great the West is, yeah, we, we know, Joe. You know, <laughs> I know yeah. you're new to the SEC, but we've been around a while. We know that the SEC West is as good as it gets. Yeah, I'm just – I'm kind of flabbergasted by that statement, but again, maybe I I do think Mississippi State is potentially going to surprise some people, but I don't have a ton of confidence in that because last year I was touting them as a West contender, and then after that Florida game, it was kind of up in smoke, you know? Yeah, I just, I'm I'm with you, man. I was just, I can't imagine being a fan just because you thought, I mean, going in, I thought Mississippi State had a chance to surprise a lot of people in the West and, and maybe even be a contender for the, the West division. Mm-hmm. And there were some games they looked fantastic, and then there were some games they just looked god-awful. And it was, you know, when I kept seeing Joe call these same plays, as you know, with uh, Fitz, and, and it's just like, I don't know. And then he goes out and he gets a mobile quarterback. How can you not be thinking he's going to do the same damn thing, you know? Just mm-hmm. just quarterback to the left, quarterback to the right. Let's try to throw. I know it didn't work. Let's punt, you know? It's just I want to see something different. So if they do go with Stevens, I hope that they make an attempt to, to throw the ball more, be more productive on offense, surprise a few people. But when he comes out with comments like this, it kind of – uh, it kind of makes you I, it would make me worried a little bit if I'm a Mississippi State fan. Yeah, I think the hope here, the main hope, Nick Fitzgerald, maybe just you know he was a hell of a football player, but maybe he just didn't understand what he, what he was supposed to do in the system. Yeah. And this guy's got it mastered. He's been in it for several seasons, so I think that's got to be the hope for Mississippi State. Uh, but we don't even know if he's going to be the start. It could be Keaton, and, and maybe Keaton <laughs> comes out. And I mean, he looked he's looked incredible. So uh, you know, it's going to be one of those guys, and they've got to they've got to look good for Mississippi State to to surprise this year. Yeah. All right, Shane. So jump into Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide. Old Nick Saban. You know, I just really want to do. We've kind of hammered the home this point, but he keeps noting this offseason that his quarterback Tua Tungavaloa needs to, you know, make this adjustment, make that adjustment. And there's been, you know, anonymous coaches calling out to, uh, even though the guy had damn near 50 touchdowns and six, only six interceptions. But I don't know. We just keep hearing these comments. Let's. It's very brief, but I want to hear Nick Saban, what he had to say here when asked about uh, Tua and his quarterbacks. 
Well, I, I think, you know, Kua has uh, got to challenge himself a little bit to get back to, um, I think, you know, being hurt um, was an issue for him at the end of the season. Uh, and I think that he has to challenge himself to get back into great shape, um, you know, and overcome, you know, some of the things that happened toward the end of the year. And I think he should take the the perception that he has a lot to prove relative to how we ended the season. I think our whole team fits into that category. Um, so the main comment there, he needs to challenge himself to get back. I think uh, Clearly, I think he's talking about getting back to healthy, but I don't know, Shane. I keep hearing, like I said, I just keep hearing all these questions about Tua, and I'm wondering if, you know, he was so impressive last year. He was getting so many accolades. And then by the end of the year, it kind of tailed off a little bit. And, of course, that is when he got hurt. But, uh, you know, there's no telling how someone that is just, just thrown into the national spotlight for the first time in their lives, how they react. Mm -hmm. Based on these comments from what – I mean, because this is something Saban's been hammering home all offseason. I wonder if behind the scenes maybe to uh, – I don't want to say rub people the wrong way, but maybe just maybe he didn't handle success the right way, if that makes sense. Uh, am I reading too much into this, or or is there something to Nick? I mean, because Nick Saban just brings this up every damn time he has a chance. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I mean, Nick's, I mean, Nick's a an excellent manipulator, not only of media but of players. So this this may be a game to him for the media. This may be a game to get back to Tua to, to put in that time and, and work on, you know, maybe some of his flaws. Um, you know, it's it's, but you're talking about making a quarterback from a 98 to a 99. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's there's just small things that Tua needs to work on. So, and I can't I can't imagine Tua's just sitting at the house, you know, uh, just chilling in Hawaii, taking it easy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Right>. I just <laughs> I think that. I think he's, you know, working on his game. I'm sure he's got all the resources he needs. So this this is just – I think this is just saving, just manipulating uh, everybody. I, that's all it is. I think it's just a big mind game. Yeah, we know it doesn't matter what Nick Saban says. If, if Tua's slack and his dad is uh, removing that belt. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Shane, let's jump down to Baton Rouge. Go Tigers. Where we don't have a clip or anything. But I wanted to make this note because new passing game coordinator Joe Brady, you know, I believe he's he's 29 years old. He's a pretty young guy, but he's been working in the NFL, working with Sean Payton, and he's the he's the mastermind here between LSU's uh, transformation into a passing offense here from the shotgun. He was on, uh, I believe it was ESPN 104.5 FM uh, Baton Rouge radio station. They're off the bench is the name of the show. But, uh, you know, he was asked about this, about the LSU's offense and, wh and what fans can expect. His exact quote here, Shane, to LSU fans, get your popcorn ready. <laughs> and he also he basically said that his offensive philosophy is, you know, defenses are not the only ones that can attack. We're going to attack in the passing game. Is there a chance that uh, they're hyping up this damn LSU offense a little too much and, and getting fans too pumped up for what's about to come? Uh, yeah, there's a chance. So, I mean, <laughs> imagine them going out three and out, you know? <laughs> Coach O's snapping a clipboard on the sideline, you know? <laughs> they go back to high formation for the second series. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, no, I think, I think 
I, I think there is. Like, I watched the spring game. I, I, I do think there's going to be – it will be night and day difference from last year. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the players have bought in. The fans are getting excited. So, yeah, I think you, you need to get your popcorn ready because you have not seen anything like this at LSU – in a long ever i mean i mean ever so uh i think it's going to be extremely exciting and uh i this is one of the offenses i'm looking most forward to this season and the other note here from lsu shane so coach o down at the spring meetings uh again we don't have a clip here but just wanted to make the note and we touched on this kelvin joseph drama uh, on the previous podcast but coach o says the sophomore defensive back is coming back to LSU as far as he knows, and I believe he said he's out of the transfer portal. I, I could be wrong on that, but it'd be pretty wild if he's still in the transfer portal, but he's telling LSU he's coming back. I'm not sure why he's in it, but, um, you know, that that's a little boost there because uh, while Joseph is by no means an all-star at this point, played in 11 games last year, and, uh, you know, they're going to need that depth next year. That, that was a position group that, that really – Hurt LSU at the tail end of the season. It's a good story here. Right before Father's Day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shay, just a quick recruiting update here. The number one running back in the nation. I believe he's the number one overall prospect by 247 Composite. But Zachary Evans, the five-star running back from Texas, he's announced five finalists in Alabama, LSU, and Georgia made the cut. So... I mean, those those three schools basically known for their running backs. They're they're probably going to get another good one here, but uh, it's kind of a big loss here. Texas and Texas A and M did not make his final five. Um, thoughts on on the number one player from Texas and number one player from the nation likely going to uh, one of these running back factories and and not A and M. It didn't even make the cut. Yeah, I know that's a that's a big loss for them. Um, is this the one kid that came out and said they're not winning national championships? Is that is this the same one? Yeah, but he was talking about Texas there. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, so he's going to go. I, I'm honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he lands in Georgia. Um, and and the reason is, I, I just think LSU eventually is going to hand it hand this thing over to John Emery. Mm-hmm. And, and and with Bama, you know, they, they do go through a couple running backs. But everything that I'm hearing about with Georgia and, and the plethora of running backs that they have now, mm-hmm. if he truly is getting everybody involved, I, I could see there being a kind of a, I don't know, kind of an itch to go play for someone like there where the, he, he's not relied 30 snaps a game. And this is something he can kind of – you know, just get in there, get to the next level. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people call them the dark horse to Georgia, but that's that's the one I've I'm keeping an eye on. I just I know LSU is probably the front runner, but I think after you see this offense and you see Georgia and the way they do things with running backs, I it just feels like that's somewhere he would land. Mm-hmm. And final note here, just a quick hitter, but Arkansas has announced that they've hired Turner Gill. Who you know he was a former Buffalo coach did really well up there they won the MAC title and he went mm-hmm. to Kansas they they really struggled up there at Kansas but this guy was a Heisman finalist at Nebraska I mean he was a hell of a of a quarterback himself but uh, Heisman finalist I believe he's on mm-hmm. Chad Morris's staff kind of like as a, a director of player personnel type and. Uh, the, the only thing I wanted to add on this, uh, the guy's name escapes me. I can't think of it, but uh, Dabo Sweeney credits mm-hmm. a ton of his success 
to the guy that he hired to be to essentially do this role. And now I think Chad Morris, you know, he's he comes from Clemson. He comes from Dabo's tree, I guess you could say. <laughs> I think he's kind of copying the Dabo mold here, and I, I don't think he could really have gotten a better guy than uh, old Turner Gill to fill this role. Yeah, no, and, you know, I've read a little bit up on this cat. You know, this is somebody that tutored Eric Crouch and Tommy Frazier, you know, some some Heisman candidates you've heard of. Well, I think Eric won the Heisman Trophy. And, uh, and while at Green Bay, he was, you know, part of the regime that, picked up Aaron Rodgers. So maybe he does got a little eye for talent and development and mm-hmm. uh, you got to feel pretty good having him on the roster. All right, Shane. So that's all the news we got around the league, but uh, I do want to make this quick note here that the TV schedules are come out. So that's how we know the college football is really getting closer. Uh, the SEC has announced the first three times, uh, or excuse me, the first three weeks of the season, all the game times and the te- television coverage for everyone around the league And the biggest note here that I thought was pretty interesting, there's not going to be any SEC on CBS week one or week two. They're doing that pretty weird. They're going to wait till week three, and that's going to be Alabama's trip to South Carolina, getting the CBS game of the week there. Um, Any of these TV games uh, stand out to you? I mean, not a ton of surprises because there's there's actually not a ton of great games. The, The ones that we do have, I've already been announced as like ABC primetime games. Yeah, no, no real big surprises. Um, I I noticed a lot of them were late, so we're going to see a lot of seven o'clock, seven thirty games. Mm-hmm. You know, especially those first three weeks. So uh, that's good. Gets you something to do all day. Come home, watch a little <laughs> college football. So the um, one thing it did kind of stood out to me though was the Vanderbilt schedule. They had uh, Georgia. Uh, August 31st at 7.30 on SEC Network. Mm-hmm. But they have Purdue week two, but that wasn't listed. Do you know, uh, is that something they're still working on? or? Well, I believe because it's at Purdue, yeah, that's probably going to be broadcast by the Big Ten Network. And the, S- you know, the SEC has obviously partnered up with the ESPN. So yeah. this, this was really just like an ESPN announcement. Oh, okay. Uh, so they would probably not have any direct knowledge of, of the Big Ten Network's scheduling. And then, uh, as weird as it is, Vanderbilt's got a bye week in week three, so they don't have a game there. But uh, Vanderbilt's kind of getting the shaft on the schedule this year. Yeah, I think that's going to be a good game. So I was just curious when it's going to get posted. So that's going to be on probably like a Big Ten Network is what you're saying? Yeah. Hopefully okay. uh, all you Commodore fans have that channel. I know I don't think I, I have it. <laughs> nah, I'm going to have to YouTube that one. <laughs> All right, Shane, last thing. This was kind of big news here on Thursday, but uh, the Golden Nugget, Las Vegas Sportsbook. I always appreciate when these Vegas-based casinos come out with their uh, game spreads because I think these are a little bit more legitimate than the you know online sportsbooks. That's not to take anything away from them, but uh, these, these Vegas ones, I don't believe there's any kind of limit on how much money you can put on it. So, you know, these, these are some serious deals here, and... A lot of these lines we were already aware of, but they have given out lines for their top 100 college football games of the year. Mm-hmm. And like I said, so a lot of the ones we already knew, like Miami, Florida, that was that's been set as seven and a half for a while. Auburn's a three-point favorite against Oregon, but there's uh, quite a few games on here that did not have a line. So I'm going to go over some of those highlights on there. Uh, let's start with that CBS, the first SEC on CBS game of the year. Alabama, 18-point favorite at South Carolina. 
that's a big number that uh, I, if I'm a Gamecock, better. I, I like that one. Um, here's another one I really like, but in favor of Alabama. Ole Miss at Alabama. Alabama's a 34-point favorite, Shane. That's the <laughs> largest point spread of these 100 games. And Alabama won by 55 last year. I don't I don't think it's going to be much yeah. different this year. I think it was like 42-0 at half. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's looking pretty interesting. Here's one for you, Shane, on October 5th. Georgia, 18-point favorite at Tennessee. Thoughts on that? <laughs> I'll tell you thoughts, son. You better bet Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I don't know. That's a little too early. Um, uh, 18. I mean, you're talking – I mean, it's three scores. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think Georgia wins, obviously, but – Three scores, brother. I, I think we're. I think we get a little bit closer this year, and I think they stick to the ground game. So yeah, give me give me Tennessee balls on that one. Third Saturday in October, Shane, October nineteenth, Tennessee at Alabama. Alabama's a thirty-one point favorite, so almost the same as Old Miss there. I think there may be some value in Tennessee there if if they're thinking. Of course, I'm I'm not thinking Tennessee and Ole Miss are going to be that close, but. Uh, if they're thinking that they're in the same category, there there may be some value there in the Vols. Um, and then let's jump down to October 26, Shane. Mm-hmm. This is my game of the year. I said this to you before we recorded on the podcast. As soon as they legalize betting in Tennessee for online, I am going to put a ton of money on this game. This is my favorite one on the board here. Mississippi State at Texas A&M. The Aggies are listed as a seven and a half point favorite, and I am going to go. The Aggies are going to kill Mississippi State in this game, Shane. Uh, the talent level on these teams is not even. Uh, Jimbo Fisher over Joe Moorhead. I think we would obviously both go Jimbo Fisher as the advantage there. Obviously, this the game's in College Station, but one of the biggest reasons. I'm not trying to be a, a downer here on Mississippi State, but listen to this schedule, Shane. They got leading up to this one. So they'll, they have quite a stretch here. They go to Auburn. Mm-hmm. They do get a bye week following that, but then they go to Tennessee, and then they have LSU, and then they come to College Station. So that's the like basically the gauntlet that Mississippi State is going to be coming into before they even get to College Station. I think this team is going to be on its you know, basically its last legs. There's always games on the schedule that we look at and say, you know, this team, they're going to be challenged to even make this competitive just based on a number of factors, all the numbers I, I laid out there. But I really think A&M is, is really going to have their way with Mississippi State on that October 26 game. And I recommend all our listeners to uh, bet that 7.5. I don't, I don't think uh, the Bulldogs are going to come close to, Miss, to A&M this year. No, if you can get it in now because that spread's going to grow, uh, mm-hmm. like you said. So – uh, do you got anything on Missouri? Just because I, I think Missouri is going to be fantastic this year. And I know the first three games, uh, Wyoming, West Virginia, Southeast Missouri State. You got anything on West Virginia, that game? Do you got a spread on it? No, you know, that's an interesting thing. Missouri, there's not a single game listed for them. I think hmm. a lot of that has to do with uh, they're waiting to see if this NCAA sanctions, how that comes about. Because oh, okay. we, I think we've seen it previously where, you know, if a team – like Ole Miss has that bowl ban. Yeah. Once, once they lose a game, they kind of tank the season. So 
Um, I'm not sure if that's the, the reason or not, but we're, there's not a single Missouri game on here, and there's only one Arkansas game, and that's because I believe that uh, they have yet to name a starting quarterback, so a lot of these lines are not set till they know who the starting quarterback is going to be. Uh, but, you know, instead of going through all these lists, because there, there's about 35 <laughs> SEC games here, um, I did point out a couple of interesting factors here. Alabama favored in every single game. That's kind of to be expected. Georgia favored in every single game. I think that's kind of to be expected at this point as well. But how about this, Shane? LSU is listed seven times on this one, and they're favored in six of them. The only one they're not favored is that Alabama game. That's at Alabama. Alabama's a 16-point favorite. That that may be one to jump on for LSU for getting your 16 points in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennessee is only listed twice on here. We already went over those games, Georgia and Alabama. They're an underdog in both. Uh, but how about this, Shane? I think you would probably agree with this. Auburn, an under, get under, underdog, they're listed eight times. They're an underdog five. Mm. The, the only ones they're favored against, Oregon on a neutral field, Arkansas, and Mississippi State, so no real surprise there. Florida, favored in three of five, so they're an underdog to, at LSU and versus Georgia. Um, Texas A&M is only favored in two of the five, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, South Carolina is an underdog in all three games listed here. Minus 20 at Georgia. That's a big one, but listen to this, Shane. Clemson at South Carolina. Clemson's favored by 23 points. Jeez. Now, I'm going, I'm going with South Carolina on that one. Yeah, because they can score some points. I mean, they, they scored damn near 50 points on Clemson last year. So Yeah, they played them tough, man. And mm-hmm. it's going to be at South Carolina, right? Right, so yeah. 23 points. I'm not I'm not sure where they're getting that, but uh, obviously Clemson's getting a lot of love for winning the national championship, but <laughs> I think sometimes uh, the betting, you know, the suckers kind of, they, they push their money towards the winners, and uh, yeah, unless you're Alabama, <laughs> it doesn't seem to pay off all that often. And Holinsky may be slinging the rock by the end, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Shane is firmly on the Holinsky hype train. Absolutely. All right, Shane, that's all I've got this week. Uh, you got anything before we hop off here? Yeah, buddy, I got us a review. Oh, let's jump to that. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. All right. As always, I appreciate everybody hanging out with us here in May. Um, you know, we, we're still going to try to get one. I mean, definitely one show a week. But, you know, when we can, we're going to try to get two. Uh, we will be picking up, of course, as the season gets closer. Um, but ratings and reviews, those really help us out there on iTunes. Uh, I appreciate everybody taking the opportunity to give us uh, the five-star hearts. That means a lot. Um, we did get a review, though, uh, and I'd like to read that. Let's see here if I can find it. Glad you came prepared, yep, Shane. Yep, prepared charity. He had one job. <laughs> one job. All right. All right, and this this one came from our boy Huey98. Great show, five star heart, guys. I've been listening since the beginning and have chatted back and forth with Mike. I tell you, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I prefer y'all over any other football podcast. I look forward to the coming season and wish you continued success. South Carolina is beginning to recruit. I really think South Carolina will shock a few teams this year. Thanks, guys. Hugh. Hugh, I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, we appreciate that. And I also appreciate he threw in that note. He did say we were his favorite. 
he said we were his favorite p- football podcast, so he had, had to make that one clear. But uh, <laughs> we appreciate any and all support we get. Those reviews really do help us out. Five-star hearts, all that jazz. We really appreciate every single one of those. So thank you, everyone that's done that. And anyone that has not yet, uh, jump on uh, your iTunes or however you listen and, and do us that favor. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, buddy. All right, Shane. Thanks for joining me as always. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls.